and you need to make sure that you ask questions. Don't be silent. Don't think, oh, I'm new and I should just, you know, wait my time. You need to ask the question because if, if everybody's thinking the same at the board, then somebody's not thinking. Like, there has to be. Welcome to the NATA Cast, the official podcast of the National Athletic Trainers Association. The NATA Cast is your audio source for exclusive insight from NATA, our leadership, and athletic training thought leaders. This show will feature in-depth conversations about healthcare topics that interest you, the athletic trainer. Today's discussion is part of a special series titled Dedicated, in which we visit with ATs who have a passion for the profession. Whether it's in a leadership role, an AT who is making strides in research, or a member who is bringing increased awareness to the profession by working in an emerged setting. Dedicated highlights their stories and path as they advance athletic training. Hello, and welcome to the Dedicated Podcast Series. I'm your host, Katie Scott. I'm the Association Project Manager and Certified Athletic Trainer on staff at NATA. Today's guest is NATA Board of Director, District 4 Director, Craig Vole. Hi, Craig. Thanks for joining us today. Nice to be with you, Katie. Thank you very much. So, Craig, you will be outgoing as the District 4 Director this June, having started in 2018. That's um, correct, yep. Reflecting back on your five years, what's been your proudest moment? It may be hard to, because I think things have changed over the five years. Um, when I first came onto the board, my first task was going out to all the districts within NATA and talking to them about uh, the District 4 split uh, mm. and educating the membership about the reasons why. Uh, and so I would say, you know, at, at the start of my career uh, on the board and being able to go out to each of the districts and actually present in front of the membership of all the districts, it was very rewarding to be able to finally get to that point where we had the vote and we did vote uh, to split District 4 and then the creation of District 11. And why I'm proud about that is because what we did was we created 27 to 29, depending on committee structures, uh, new leadership opportunities within the NATA. And so that was something that I was extremely proud of to be able to increase opportunities for all of the members within GLADA, which is District 4 and District 11 now. Um, I would then say that was the beginning. And then obviously COVID hit. Uh, and I would say, you know, I am proud of, of what we did uh, as a leadership team and as a board of director and um, within the NATA staff of how we were able to get through COVID and be able to come out on the other side. Um, it's still in remarkably good financial shape compared to a lot of other organizations. And I think what we were able to do at the beginning of COVID and to be able to get as many member benefits out uh, at the beginning under President Lindley and all of our time was focused on getting just, just benefits out that, that members could utilize at their place as we were trying to, to kind of work through this COVID pandemic together. There was no rule book. And no. so, 
you know, there were, you know, you would you would finish a policy and procedure and the science would change and you were now on the 26th draft of a policy and procedure. But we at the NATA, we were able to get out at least starting points for these policies and procedures for our members so they could at least have an idea of where to start and how to kind of set things up to safely return to, to sports. Um, and when we, we began that, um, the way that we were able to utilize our skill set to be transferable into many different settings and to be recognized as essential employees during that by yeah, because that we were a chameleon and we mm-hmm. were able then to help with screenings and and other components of our job to see that we just aren't on the sidelines. So that was very proud. And then I would say here at the end, uh, what I've been very proud about uh, is our DIA commitments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a board member, being part of the creation of those of those six commitments. And then more importantly, being able to be an active member on the DIA task force mm-hmm. and actually bringing life to the commitments and really uh, bringing accountability to the organization and to our members in regards to our commitments and that it wasn't just something that we wrote on paper, that it was something that we truly believed in. Uh, So I would say it's kind of morphed over my five years. And then right now, I'm very proud of the work that we're doing on our strategic plan because I think it's setting the organization up um, for huge success as we move forward here. So Craig, obviously, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot in five years packed in. So Kind of looking back on your journey, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would say to Craig when he was first coming on as a board member? Is there any advice you would give him? Or I, I will say I would go back and I would I would reiterate the advice uh, that I was given by uh, President Lindley, who was kind of the board of director, district four director right before me, before he ascended into the presidency. And, you know, he basically said, you've, you are ready, you are a great leader, and you need to make sure that you ask questions. Don't be silent. Don't think, oh, I'm new and I should just, you know, wait my time. You know, he really said, you need to ask the question because if, if everybody's thinking the same at the board, then somebody's not thinking like there has to be even if it's just throwing out the devil's advocate point uh, of a point that maybe I don't necessarily agree with, mm-hmm. but I at least want to understand maybe what are some responses to that, you know, because I don't think you can come up with a, with a truly perceptive um, solution or uh, a path forward if you haven't looked at all points of view. And so that's, that's one thing is, you know, don't be comfortable with the status quo. Don't be afraid to rock the boat. As Chuck Kimmel would always say, it's good to cuss and discuss, you know, but make sure that it's it stays in the boardroom and that it doesn't become personal. You know, I always kind of, I love the Godfather and always talking about it's it's not personal, it's business. And mm-hmm. that's really what I, the advice I would give is, is don't make it personal, make it business, make it about making the association better and making the profession of athletic training better. If that's, that's probably not only course. great advice for an incoming district director, but really anybody who wants to volunteer in a leadership capacity at any level. I, 
I, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just having all of the, the different perspectives to the table and thinking through in a thorough manner I, it would be great no matter where you are in, in any volunteer capacity. Well, and I think that has always been why um, I've never had problems um, with the time commitment that it was in regards to my service and my volunteerism and in my leadership roles, because it's amazing to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. It's amazing to work with a group of people that are truly in it, not for themselves, but for the betterment of everybody. The adage is a rising tide raises all ships. And when you, when nobody really wants the credit, they just want things to improve or they want a great outcome. That's when everybody wins, and that's the rising tide, and it raises the ships of you know of the entire athletic training profession. Then, you've you've talked pretty um, highly about volunteering, and I know part of the the split for Glada was to provide more volunteer opportunities to its membership. But for you personally, how has volunteering benefited you? I would say number one, it's it's enabled me to really hone leadership skills. You know, you're put into a position that you are trying to gain consensus, uh, that you're trying to get all the oars rowing in the same direction. Um, and so the the valuable lessons that I've learned, the people that I've met, the connections that I've made, the networks that I've been able to to uh you know connect into has been invaluable in my career because I believe that those those leadership positions and those opportunities that I've had have made me a better version of myself and have improved my ability in my current role as the manager of sports medicine and overseeing 40 athletic trainers and, and four physicians has enabled me to take those lessons learned and I think be maybe a better leader for them as well. Looking to the future, Craig. What are your aspirations or goals for how you continue your volunteer legacy after your time as a district director is over? I would say, um, you know, I firmly believe, and I, I, I say this quite often, but that leadership is about your ability to communicate to people their worth uh, and their potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. And to me, you, you know, if you use a coaching analogy, they always talk about the coaching trees and, you know, which head coaches had the most assistants that have gone on to be head coaches or, or anything like that. I look at it as kind of a, a service tree. How many people have I been able to touch? How many young professionals have I been able to mentor or have communication with at the NATA convention or at the GLADA conference or at the IATA? And just find one of those young professionals and be able to hopefully leave my my fingerprints on them in a way in which they're inspired and they go on and continue that that tradition of service. An ATA convention is in Indianapolis this year. That's not yeah. too far from your home. Going um, out on my home turf. Yeah. What are you what are you most excited about for convention this year? This I think. You know, I'll be going off the stage at the end of the of the general sessions. And I think being able to have my wife there and my kids there kind of see uh, me 
be able to walk across the stage will be to me very rewarding. Um, my family has sacrificed quite a bit to allow me the opportunities that that uh, I have had, and I think being able to celebrate kind of the end of you know this run was is a 15 year run that I've had where I've been in executive leadership uh, positions. Prior to that, I had a one year hiatus, but I had a 10 year. So it's been basically 25 straight years uh, in executive leadership positions. And like I said, I would never want to go back and do anything different, uh, but it'll be very nice in Indy that my family and my parents, it'd be close enough that my parents could also come and, and uh, see me walk across that stage one last time. I love it. I love it. Let's jump into more about that 25-year run because I I would just love to hear more about how did you first get involved with volunteer leadership? What drove you to take the path that you did? And any golden nuggets of lessons learned that you felt like really helped you along the way? I I tell this story and I tell it many times in a joking manner, uh, but um, I had tried seven different times to, to wow. get into a leadership position within GLADA. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the impetus into we GLADA was definitely and District 4 was the largest district. And so, you know, it had twice as many members as all the other districts combined, you know. And so it was very difficult, especially for young professionals uh, to be able to get leadership positions. And so I tried seven different times for different GLADA committees that had opened up since I had become certified and had received seven rejection letters. It got to the eighth time. And I basically, and I've told this story before, but I basically said, this is it. If I don't get this leadership position, then it's a sign. Here's your sign. You're not worthy of, of being in a, in a leadership position. You know, now most people would give up you know, mm -hmm. after seven times, but I'm from Cleveland. So I'm used to disappointment <laughs> and heartache and heartbreak and, and all that. So I just kept going at it. But I really, truly got to the point where on the eighth one, that if if I got a rejection, that that was probably going it, to be it. And that's that butterfly effect. That That's that moment where I don't know if I would be 25 years of executive leadership and district four director and some of the other things, you know, that have happened throughout my career, if I had gotten rejected. Now, Rick Shaw, who was the president of GLADA at the time, um, responded back to me. And I was able to get the memorials resolutions chair for District 4 for GLADA. And so that was a committee in which when you had, unfortunately, a member who passed, it was your responsibility to write up a memorial resolution for that and then also communicate that to the national office and, and all that. We've since kind of changed that, and the memorials resolution is no longer a committee at the NATA level, but that was my first foray. And I think, you know, it was that perseverance that gave me the taste of, of service, and then that parlayed into um, other positions. And finally, I ran for president of the Indiana Athletic Trainers Association and was able to, to win that. Um, and that was a six-year commitment, uh, and then ran for president of GLADA, and that was a four-year commitment, and then uh, was able then to you know also become um, district four director following that. But that was that was the start, and it was a 
it was an iffy start. We were, I did, you know, I mean, things could have been a lot, lot, lot different. I could, I could have been on a different career path if, if that late eighth time uh, had not come through for me. It's a great testament, though, to perseverance and just to keep trying, especially if it's something you're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, and and I've told when I've kind of had opportunities to talk to young professionals that have have been disappointed uh, about maybe not getting a position. And I just, I, I, I tell the story of how, you know, it took me eight tries, you know, I hope it doesn't take you that long, but you're going to find, keep the passion, find something you're passionate about and just, you know, just keep on keeping on and, and being willing to, to throw your name in the hat and, and, and try. Let's talk a little bit more about the opportunities that are available today. Um, within the district, because I think we have a lot of young professionals who are interested in putting their name in for the hat, but maybe aren't sure what's available, what's out there. Um, We know we have our positions at the national level posted on Gather, and and we'll link that in the show notes for people who are interested, but specific to District 4 and the GLADA level, what? how could a young professional get involved today? So within our social media channels uh, through GLADA, we're constantly posting our different positions uh, that are available. Um, and then not only do we have like chair positions, but then there are many, um, you know, for depending on which state you're in, each of the states have representatives to, to the different GLADA committees. So again, um, there's those opportunities. And then the state that you're in, each of them are always looking for young professionals that, you know, are, are looking for an opportunity to excel and to begin that leadership journey. You know, like I said, I started at the state level uh, and it was, it, it was amazing experiences and you get to meet a bunch of people within your own state. I then moved that to kind of that district level and then moved on to the national level after that. So in, in GLADA, each of our states have uh, kind of opportunities for the most part, it's always posted on each of our websites. So whether it's the GLADA website or it's each of the six states association websites, but I can tell you that there's always more positions than people willing to volunteer. And so we're constantly looking for people. And, you know, even if we don't have a position, um, I recommend reaching out to either your state leaders, your district leaders, or your district director, uh, you know, your national leaders, because what I appreciate is getting contacted from young professionals or any professional, doesn't have to be young professional, uh, that is interested in beginning uh, the volunteer process. And, and I have a list of people. And when, when openings come up, you know, a lot of times I ask them, what are, their, what are they passionate about? What, what do they see their skill set translating to easiest? And then there's some times where you know, this might not be particularly in their area of expertise, but it's something that is still going to help develop them as a leader. You know, I've always said leaders have that innate ability. You can learn the technical stuff, but you can't necessarily learn the great leadership. Like I've always said leaders are born. And then, you know, um, after that, you're put in opportunities to continue to hone those skills. Going a little bit deeper into leadership development, we received a question from a volunteer that in essence says that being a leader in today's world, it can be very challenging. And so they were curious to know from your perspective, what do you think is some of the greatest challenges for leaders today and how do you recommend overcoming them? You know, I think as a leader, 
you have an incredible opportunity to change someone's life every single day. Um, and, and, you know, leadership isn't about tearing people down. It's about helping people, I would say, become the very best version of themselves. And so I think some of the pitfalls that leaders naturally fall into is the stress maybe of the day job, and maybe they're a little short and, you know, probably don't maybe communicate in the best, most effective ways. Uh, And a lot of times you end up dissuading people, not necessarily inspiring people to want to put in that extra time. Because again, you're talking about a profession in which we are typically workaholics and we have poor work-life ratio. And all of that plays into the fact where if people don't find meaning or find that it's valuable or that, they're, that their time is being respected, they're less likely to, to volunteer. And when you have that, then you don't have the natural pipeline of leaders to constantly um, be that visionary leader that we need going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's definitely one of the areas that as a leader, you need to be cognizant of. I've always said, you want to leave every interaction that you have with 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 anyone, leave that person consciously aware that they're loved and respected. And if you do that, that lights the fire within them and that lights their passion and they they feel, feel valued and respected and they'll want to continue paying it forward. And that's the thing is like, we need to inspire into people the willingness to 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 pay it forward. When you look at our the great pioneers and really what, what got me into leadership to begin with was there was a uh, editorial in the NATA news way back in the day, and it was talking about wanted another pinky newel. And it was really lamenting the fact that, and this was probably written by somebody my age right now, so in their, you know, in their 50s, and they were lamenting about the fact that the younger generation just didn't seem to want to be involved. And so basically saying, you know, who's going to be the next pinky newel? Who's going to be that next visionary leader for the NATA and all that? And as I read that, I realized I was kind of part of the problem because I hadn't really gotten involved yet. And that was the impetus for me wanting to get involved. And I ran then for president of IATA because, you know, I I took heed of that and said, you know what? Okay, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to be, I'm going to at least offer some solutions. So I would say those are the things is getting people inspired to want to continue volunteering um, and want to volunteer and to give of their time. Because, you know, when you're, when you have a job in which, you know, you have that poor work-life balance, you you have to start to understand, you know, what, what, what is that release for you? And for me, it's always been service. And that's kind of been, as funny as it seems, that has always been my work-life balance then is, is my ability to give back. Uh, and like I said, be part of something bigger and work with people that don't, nobody, nobody cares who gets the credit. They just want something great to be done. Craig, as you were going along in your leadership development, did you find any tools, books, quotes, resources really helpful to you that you recommend to our listeners today? Yeah, I would say um, one of the one of the books that I, I I I ask everybody to read is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an amazing book of just how to be a good person and how to gain consensus and how to get things done. I'm currently reading. I'm going to get it out here. Okay. 
And we will definitely link all of these things in our show notes for our listeners, because I'm always interested to share just really good books and things for people to tap into. The two books that I'm reading right now, the one is called The Law of the Garbage Truck. Hmm. And it was it's basically how to stop people from dumping on you and you dumping on people. So it's it's really talking about how to be a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also read Good to Great. That's an amazing book. And then I also have another book that I'm reading. It's called No Ego, uh, which kind of, again, gets into that. It's amazing what can be accomplished when nobody cares who gets the credit for it. But all right. Now he had you asked for some quotes. Yeah, if you have them. Okay. Yeah, I think one of the ones that I really, truly, and part of why I fell in love with the Dale Carnegie book was uh, in it. He talks and he says that a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still, meaning that if you don't take the time as a leader to understand where that other person is coming from, walking a mile in their shoes and, and seeing it from their point of view, you're never going to get them to buy in. Right. They may go along to get along, but they're never truly going to want to buy in. And so if you take the time to understand from their point of view, maybe what are their concerns, and then you address those concerns. And once you're able then to flip them, and they, you know, they kind of understand your point of view, and then they commit to that point of view, they will be one of the best advocates for that position going forward uh, or for, you know, for whatever policy is put into place or whatever decision is being made. And so I I really take that one to heart because it is important uh, that you want people to, to, to believe in what the decision is so that everybody goes forward and it's a shared value or shared vision. You know, you won't get to that if you don't have it. I also, uh, each success only buys a ticket to a more difficult problem. And I do believe that is true, that once you show the ability to to get work done or projects done, usually then you're you're rewarded with more projects more or projects. harder projects. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you can relate to that, can't you, Katie? Oh, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> And then one of the ones that I talk to my staff about all the time, and I'm glad that I said it as much as I did before COVID, Mm -hmm. uh, because I think my staff took that to heart and became part of the solution. And that's if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Mm -hmm. And I think that for so long in regards to athletic training, we have not necessarily had a seat on the bus or a seat at the table. And other people were able to make decisions for us. You know, I've always said innovation is the ability to change before you're before you're made to, you know, and many times early on, we didn't have a seat. So we, you know, change was thrust upon us. We didn't have any way to define what that change looked like. But what we found was, especially as we we're coming out of COVID, we had to have a seat at that table. Like we could not allow administration and administrators to make decisions that we just had to react to and fill in. And so again, that goes to that point about during COVID, how I really feel that athletic trainers became an indispensable member of many, um, you know, high schools, colleges, um, hospital systems. And so I think now what you're seeing is that people are realizing I've been in meetings before where, or not been in meetings before where um, 
I I wasn't invited and somebody recognized that we need the athletic trainer's voice here and so was invited. But I think that's because being able to be at the table in other opportunities, you know, people began to realize and understand what value we have and what we can bring and that we can't be making these decisions without getting input from the from the people that it most affects. So yeah, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And then the last one that, I, and this kind of goes into my entire philosophy on on service, is that service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. You know, and I I truly believe that to to my core, and that's why it's always been important not only for me to volunteer within athletic training associations, but you know I I've been a, a little league coach, and I've actually coached when I didn't have kids that were playing. You know, because I just loved coaching uh, so much, whether it's, you know, donating time for Meals for Wheels once a month, you know, it's just those little things uh, that that give back because I feel like I've had a great life and I've had a lot of opportunities in my life. And I want to, you know, A, give back, but more importantly, pay it forward. I love the way you talk about how athletic trainers are indispensable. And I think that's always been the case pre-COVID, Craig, but I, I agree with you that COVID really showed a spotlight on just the MacGyver that ATs can be, right? Mm -hmm. And it really showed just how indispensable we are. We're seeing it again now with our incident with Damar Hamlin with Monday Night Football, just how indispensable athletic trainers and the interprofessional relationships are on the sideline, both at the professional sports level, but but really at all levels. And, And I think the situation that we're seeing out in the job market right now where there seems to be a labor shortage. And while I don't necessarily say it's a labor shortage as much as it's a shortage of people willing to settle for bad working conditions like we used to, um, I think you're having schools that took us for granted and took athletic training uh, services for granted. And now they don't have an athletic trainer and they're now truly understanding what we all, what we did that we typically probably uh, didn't, you know, toot our horn for or anything like that. And so I, I agree. I, I think also you, you you listen to the broadcasts or you listen to the Today Show or Good Morning America, and they're just amazed that care was was start initiated that fast. You know, right. now we all know, you know, that we train for that every day, you know, and and go through our, our medical timeout all the time. And so we're ready for those kind of tragedies. Yeah, and that that's really what resonated with me, Craig, is as horrible as this situation is, the the reality, the sad reality, the hard reality and truth is that while for a lot of people, that was the first time they've seen an emergency management situation play out on a field, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. And the scarier part of it is sometimes there's not athletic training staff on the sidelines when it happens. My hope is that this situation puts a national spotlight on the ability of showing the true value of an athletic trainer so that we can get an athletic trainer on every sideline, regardless of the level of play it is. Because the the facts are athletic trainers, physicians, our interprofessional team saved that man's life. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. And it just it shows the the value of who we are, what we can do. And, and like I said, my hope is is that we can use this situation just to continue to reflect on the value of athletic training 
um, so that we can grow the profession so that all athletes can have access to medical care. Well, I think that is going to be the important part right there is because, you know, the type of care, the level of care that someone receives should not be determined by their zip code. And too many times, especially in like in my area, I, I work in, you know, kind of Northwest Indiana, which is very rural. Like we do not necessarily have large metropolitan areas and not all of those rural schools have athletic trainers. And, and that's the disappointing thing is that those are the places where you really need because it is 30 to 45 minutes away to a metropolitan ED that has maybe the technology that you need. And that's the type of message that I've been able to successfully go out to a lot of these rural schools and talk about the importance of an athletic trainer, especially when you're talking about having AEDs and making sure that at least someone on your coaching staff is CPR certified. Because one athletic trainer at a high school can't be in all places at the same time. And so right. there may be an unfortunate incident that occurs in the next gym. And, you know, the importance of being able to educate everybody there on, on having somebody that can at least initiate CPR, you know, or, or get the AD so that we can then find out if it is a shockable rhythm. We do that for our cool first transport second. Again, learning from tragedy of what happened in Maryland and the importance of making sure that you get the bot the core body temperature below 102 so that you don't have rebound hypothermia, hyperthermia. That's what I've been able to successfully go out and educate our, our ADs and our superintendents in rural areas because I've said look, if you don't allow us or we don't have the resources to be able to cool first or to be able to take a rectal thermometer or rectal temperature and know what we're dealing with, they could die on the on the on the ambulance ride because it's 40 minutes to the to the ED, you know, and so using those kind of tragedies, unfortunately, has been effective in getting changes in the standard of care uh, in those rural communities. So, Craig, I think for a lot of our members, I mean, we have 30,000 plus NATA members um, in our database. Some of this can seem daunting and, and giant, right? Like, what can I, a singular person, do to help advocate for the profession? What would you say to those members? What little grassroots steps can they take between now and the end of the month to advocate for their profession during an extremely critical time? I would say, first, I'll start with a quote that I always, you know, nobody made a greater mistake than he who does nothing because he could only do a little. Like you said, it is daunting. And I think what it is, it's important. It's the same way you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. You know, you just have to start. The important part is to educate, not alienate. I think many times a lot of people will come in and maybe come into a situation too hot uh, and maybe unintentionally maybe offend somebody in a in a uh, decision-making situation. But I think it's not being afraid to hear no. No doesn't mean failure. It means for an opportunity to pivot. The way that you sold it was not the right way. You need to then figure out what are their concerns, address those concerns, and then, okay, what's the answer now? Still no? Okay, what are still your concerns? And it's incremental improvement. You know, you asked, what would I say to my 25-year-old self? And I would say, 
I would say making sure that you uh, enjoy the small victories. I think many times young professionals, and I was guilty of this, is I want instantaneous success. This is mm-hmm. the way it should be. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to fight this hard, you know? And then when they when it becomes hard, they quit or they stop or they don't you know, have the perseverance to continue. So I would say understand that progressively small little improvements over time is what we want to see. It's kind of like how we as, as a profession have been. If you look at where we were, where we are now, and where we're headed, you see over the years incremental improvements, and that's the important part. So I would say making sure that young professionals understand that you know what? Have a crucial conversation with your AD about this situation and say, look, you know, this was a once in a million gazillion, uh, you know, opportunity. But I mean, you know, in hockey or in baseball or in softball, where we typically see commodal cordis, ha- you know, commercial cordis happening, being able to make sure like you can make improvements that that help the overall safety of the athletes. And what are you asking for? What is what is something that they that the AD or superintendent could have control over that that can that that can make a difference? And whether that's making sure that there's an AD at all venues or at least a AD that's transportable for all of that, making sure that somebody on staff has CPR training besides just the athletic trainer. I think you have to know what are you asking for and what is your definition of success. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that it may take multiple steps to get there. You're like you're not going to make the jump from A to Z. Like you're going to have to take small steps and cherish the small victories. Absolutely. Craig, we've talked a lot about um, challenges, next steps, growth, things like that. But I'm curious to know if someone came up to you and asked you, what do you love the most about athletic training? How would you answer that? I would say that it is, you know, we as athletic trainers leave our fingerprints on people in ways that we'll never understand. Like we make differences in people's lives in ways that we'll truly never able to understand. Whether it's just, uh, you know, something that you might have said to somebody in a time of need. Uh, it's the compassion that you showed as you were evaluating somebody that maybe had a, a season-ending injury. It's the time that you took to explain what a doctor was saying to the athlete, or more importantly, being able to take time to maybe talk to a parent that has no idea of what this medical lingo that the doctor has been spewing and really doesn't understand what that is. And being able to interpret it for them in a way that they understand and being able to read the room or be able to read your parents and understand what level of communication do I need to come in at um, so that they they understand what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. It's those kind of things, the way that we we interact and make make differences in in the lives of, of people on a day to day basis. What makes us unique as healthcare professionals is we see them every day. You know, doctors see you like once a month or maybe once a week if you got something going on. Therapists may see people two to three times a week for six weeks and then they don't see them anymore. You know, athletic trainers, we see people, 
you know, if we're in the high school, we'll see them for four years mm-hmm. and it's potential. We might see them every day <laughs> for four years. So, you know, in college, same thing. You see them on a regular basis. You get to know them. You get to be, you know, a part of that community, a secondary school athletic trainer. The greatest thing about being a secondary school athletic trainer is being part of the community and being asked questions from the grandmother of, of, of an athlete or, you know, those kind of things. Those are the, the, it's those small things to me that make the job so worthwhile. We're trying something new. I, if you want to try and do this with me, where we got some, uh, lightning round questions to ask you. Okay. Something you want to do. So what it's going to be, is it's going to be a really short question. And I just want you to give me the first answer that comes off to the top of your mind. And we're going to go pretty fast. Sound good. Okay. Okay. Texting or talking? Talking. Favorite day of the week? Oh. Saturday. Favorite city in the United States besides the one you live in? Cleveland, the greatest city on the face of the earth. Uh, Nickname your parents used to call you? Bomber. What's the last song you downloaded? Or played on Spotify? Uh, uh, you don't want to know. <laughs> it was a kid rock song. Ooh. Never met a... <laughs> oh, greatest band of all time. Oh, Van Halen, but not Van Hagar. Okay. Dave, uh, best quarterback of all time. Uh, I know people are going to say this, but man, you can't take it away from Brady. Mm, you're wrong, but okay. Favorite <laughs> holiday. Favorite holiday. Um, yes. Thanksgiving because family. Rate your driving on a scale of one to 10. Uh, eight. Invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. Okay. Place you most want to travel you haven't been to yet? I want to get to the Holy Land. Okay. Cake or pie? Pie. Favorite number? Seven. (laughs) If Voldemort offered you a hug, would you accept it? (laughs) Does this show my age? Who's Voldemort? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Who is it? And maybe I just I'm not placing the name. (laughs) Voldemort is the evil guy in Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. I have never, ever read or watched the Harry Potter movies. Sorry. (laughs) There's some kind of sound effect, Tracy, that we can put in this podcast (laughs) for that. Now, you asked me about Lord of the Rings. I'm all in. So, okay. Okay, you need to watch Harry Potter. Every millennial on this podcast, their heart just sunk a little bit, Craig. I have to be honest. Um, <laughs> big dogs or small dogs? Oh, I'm probably going to say small dogs. I like the little lap dogs, little the ones that think they're tougher than they are. Okay, favorite sport? Um, watching or playing? Watching. Watching, I would. I would have said in my younger days football, but I'm I have kids that play soccer and I'm really starting to get into good soccer, like World Cup level soccer. Okay. And then finally, the most important of all of these, does pineapple belong on pizza? Heck no. Mm. <laughs> that was two words, sorry. 
<laughs> uh, well, thank you for playing. I don't know if I agree with all of those, but it's about getting <laughs> to know you most of all, which we've done a great job doing. So, um, Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we wrap up, final thoughts to our listeners from you. Uh, I would say, you know, if you're considering being a leader, please pursue it. We need we need you as a profession and as an association. Um, you know, volunteering, like I said, is 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 your ability to leave a mark uh, on the association and be part of something bigger uh, than yourself. Uh, and it's it's just to me some of the most amazing experiences. You meet the most amazing group of people, not only in your area but across the country. Uh, and it's just it's just fun. Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a blast. To those listening, we always want to hear from you. Feel free to leave comments and feedback on our social media handles, which we'll link in the show notes. And as always, you can get a hold of me at engage at NETA.org. Um, love hearing from you guys. Love getting your questions and fielding out to these podcasts. We're going to keep these going. Um, until then, though, please check out the rest of our podcast and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks again, Craig. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Dedicated, a special series of the NATA cast. All resources mentioned during this episode can be found in the show notes or at nata.org slash podcast. Listen, we want to hear from you. If you'd like to let us know what you thought or even what you want to hear in future episodes, send an email to the NATA cast at nata.org. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the NATA cast and rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time.